Chapter 5. Bible Study Methods There are quite a few ways to approach your personal Bible study. The biggest choice you'll have to make is deciding what to study, your focus, and how to interact with it, your technique. Focuses When it comes to Bible study, the first choice you'll have to make is what exactly you'd like to study in the first place. The Bible is an enormous book, or rather 66 books, and you aren't going to read the whole thing in one sitting, no matter how hard you try. So, where do you start? There's not really a wrong answer here. All scripture is breathed out by God. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 ESV. So all scripture is worth reading. But there is an important principle to keep in mind. Context matters. For trying to understand any passage in scripture, it's important to know what's happening around that passage. What did the author say before and after it? What's the purpose of the book it's in? What do other books of the Bible say about the same subject? We know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13 verse 8, and that with God the Father there is no variation or shadow of turning, James 1 verse 17. If we believe that the God who inspired the scriptures is consistent and unchanging, then we must also believe that the scriptures themselves are consistent and unchanging. In other words, Bible verses don't cancel each other out. They support and build on each other. There's a danger in zeroing in on a single verse and drawing conclusions without considering the broader context. The more familiar you become with the Bible as a whole, the easier it becomes to understand its parts. Still, there will be plenty of times when you'll want to zoom in and get a more granular view of the Bible. There are six different zoom levels you might consider using, and we'll go over how to effectively use each of them. But regardless of how far you zoom in, never forget the importance of zooming back out and considering the context of the bigger picture. Level 1. The Bible. Primary Tool. Reading Plan. This is a great place to start, especially if you don't have a specific question or subject in mind. By reading through the entire Bible, you'll begin to develop a working knowledge of the Bible as a whole. The more you read through it, the more polished that knowledge becomes. But as we've already noted, the Bible isn't meant to be read in a single sitting. You'll need a plan. That plan might be as simple as start at the beginning and make your way to the end, or it might be a little more involved. Either way, you'll find that quite a few Bible reading plans exist to help you read the entire Bible within a year. Usually this means reading about three to four chapters every day. A classic plan will take you through the pages of the Bible, starting in Genesis and ending in Revelation. A side-by-side -side plan might give you two readings each day, one from the Old Testament and one from the New, allowing you to move forward through both Testaments at the same time. A chronological plan will attempt to arrange your daily readings in the order they happened. That might mean flipping from 2 Samuel to the Psalms to read what David wrote about key moments in his life, or turning from the middle of one Gospel account to another as you read about the life of Jesus Christ. A themed plan might be organized according to the literary genre of each book. One section of the plan might focus on prophecy, another on poetry, another on New Testament epistles, and so on. A thematic plan will try to structure your daily readings so that the themes of each day's passages line up with each other. For example, Psalm 148, Genesis 1, and Ephesians 1 all deal with the creation of the world. We offer some of these Bible in a Year plans in the Life, Hope, and Truth Learning Center, but you can also find many others online with a simple search. You might find it valuable to try a different plan every year as you make your way through the pages of God's Word. 
or you may prefer to just use a bookmark and move through the Bible at your own pace. There's no wrong way to go about it. There is a huge advantage to having each day's readings laid out in advance. You'll know exactly what to read and when to read it if you want to finish in the advertised time frame. By reading through the entire Bible, you'll develop a valuable framework for understanding individual passages on their own. A word of caution. Falling behind can get discouraging. Missing one day doubles your reading for the next day. If your time is limited, it's easy to rush through each day's reading, especially if you're trying to catch up. If the schedule feels too rigid, just ignore the calendar dates. No one says you have to read the entire Bible in a year. Do as much of one day's reading as you can, then tomorrow, continue with what's left. Purposefully engaging with God's Word is more important than trying to finish it in some arbitrary time frame. In their book, Seven Arrows, Aiming Bible Readers in the Right Direction, Matt Rogers and Donnie Mathis propose seven excellent questions to consider while reading through any passage of the Bible. Number one, what does this passage say? Number two, what did this passage mean to its original audience? Number three, what does this passage tell us about God? Number four, what does this passage tell us about man? Number five, what does this passage demand of me? Number six, how does this passage change the way I relate to people? Number seven, what does this passage prompt me to pray? By asking those questions as you move through your personal Bible study, you'll train yourself to think carefully about what you're reading while considering how to apply the lessons you're learning to your own life. Level two, topics, primary tools, topical index, cross-references, concordances. You might be interested in what the Bible has to say about a specific topic. Your topic of choice might be a broad one, like love, a little narrower, like godly love, or a very specific question, like what are the differences between worldly love and godly love? For a topical study, you can use a topical index as well as cross-references. The passages you're looking for will be all over the Bible, and those tools will help you track them down. Once you've gathered a healthy selection of verses on a subject, from both the Old and New Testaments, start looking for similarities and differences between them. These will help you flesh out your understanding of the topic. How do the Bible authors talk about this topic? What facets of it do they explore? Do they connect it to any other concepts? As you begin to draw those connections, you'll come to a more solid understanding of the topic or question you've chosen. You may also find helpful insights and commentaries that address those verses. Don't forget to search for the topic on Life, Hope, and Truth, too. Chances are good we've already written something about it. Here are some questions you might want to ask over the course of your study. Number one, is this a topic God talks about a lot or a little in the Bible? Why might that be? Number two, what major stories in the Bible are impacted by this topic? In what way? How would the stories be different if this topic were handled differently? Number three, is this topic always helpful, always harmful, or something in between? What makes it that way? Number four, how can I define this topic in one or two sentences? Number five, how exactly does this topic affect the life I should be living as a follower of God? What impact should it have on how I interact with others, how I interact with God, the activities I spend my time on, the way I think about my life, and my priorities and friendships? Number six, is this topic something I want more or less of in my life? What steps do I need to take to bring about that change? Level three, books. 
primary tools, maps and atlases, timelines and harmonies. The Bible is composed of 66 books written by different authors who lived in different cultures during different historical eras, each one with its own literary style and intended audience. For example, the first century book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul while he was a prisoner of the Roman Empire and was intended as a letter of support and instruction for the Christian congregation of Ephesus. The book of Ruth is a historical account of a young woman who lived in the nation of Israel during the time of the judges around the 12th century BC. Two completely different books written for two completely different purposes, both preserved by God for us to study and learn from. Understanding any of those 66 books is easier when we take the time to understand what was happening around the book. The book of Isaiah has a little more impact when we know what Israel looked like at that time, what kings were ruling what nations, and even what was happening on the geopolitical landscape. The letters to the Corinthians carry more weight when we know what the Corinthians, and Paul, were dealing with at the time. Timelines and harmonies can be useful tools for helping us understand where a particular book fits in the biblical narrative while maps and atlases can help us visualize important geographic elements like terrain and national borders. But even more important than when a book was written is why it was written. Understanding the context of a book helps set the stage for our study, but the real benefit of studying a book is extracting the lessons contained within it. Our goal as we study any book of the Bible should be to come to a deeper understanding of why God chose to inspire and preserve these words for us. What are the lessons of the book? How do they apply to us today? What can this book teach us about the God we serve? You can find an overview article about each book of the Bible on Life, Hope, and Truth by going to our Books of the Bible page. Here are some questions to ask as you read through a book of the Bible. Number one, what kind of book is this? A historical account? A series of prophecies? Recorded law? A letter? Etc. Number two, is this book written as poetry, prose, or both? Number three, does this book refer to other books or characters of the Bible? In what context? Number four, where does this book fit chronologically among the other books of the Bible? What other books happened before, after, and during this book? Number five, what was happening on the world scene during the events of this book? Number six, given the kind of book, questions 1 and 2, and the connections of the book, questions 3 and 4, what would you consider to be the purpose of the book? The book itself might answer this question explicitly, as in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Number 7. As you read through the book, what lessons can you extract and apply to your own life? Number 8. If you've read this book before, what phrases, words, or stories stand out to you in ways you didn't notice in previous read-throughs? Level 4. Chapters. Primary tools, commentaries, cross-references. Some books, like Jude or 2 John, are just a single chapter, but generally a book of the Bible will be divided into multiple chapters. Although chapter divisions came along hundreds and sometimes thousands of years after these books were written, they still serve a useful purpose. For the most part, chapters in the Bible help provide natural stopping and starting points in the flow of a book. For example, 1 Corinthians 13 explores the concept of godly love. Matthew 23 records Christ's rebuke of the scribes and Pharisees. Leviticus 23 defines God's feast days. Exodus 20 lists the Ten Commandments. Studying a single chapter at a time has a few benefits. 
It's often much easier to sit down and focus on a single chapter of the Bible than it is to explore an entire book. It's also less intimidating to try to understand what's being discussed in a single chapter instead of an entire book, or the entire Bible itself. The difficulty is that even though chapter breaks aren't arbitrary, they usually weren't in the book as it was originally written, either. The original authors of the Bible didn't include chapter breaks, which means sometimes chapters can interrupt important thoughts or themes. Jumping between the chapters of different books in no particular order is a lot like moving from conversation to conversation in a room full of people. You'll definitely understand some of what's being said, but you'll only be getting snippets of the bigger picture. If you want the best of both worlds, consider studying the chapters of a book in order. You'll be able to focus on smaller chunks during your studies, but each session will build on the previous one. When studying a chapter of the Bible, Commentaries can help provide insight into both the lessons of that chapter and how it connects with other passages of Scripture. Remember, though, it's nearly impossible to write a commentary on the Bible without bringing your own biases and presuppositions to the table. No commentary can serve as the ultimate authority on the meaning of the Bible. It only serves as a source of potential insight. Sometimes, passages of the Bible are repeated, referenced, or built upon elsewhere. For example, Sennacherib's threat is recorded in Isaiah chapter 36, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and 2 Kings chapter 18. The Ten Commandments are recorded in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Many passages appear repeatedly in the four gospel accounts. Cross-references might alert you to the locations of these related chapters. Here are some questions to ask as you read through a chapter of the Bible. Number one, what happens in this chapter? What events are recorded? What concepts are discussed? And what instructions are given? Number two, if multiple things happen in this chapter, are they connected by chronology, one thing happening after another, or a theme, a common idea running through the chapter? Number three, do the contents of this chapter remind you of any other Bible passages? Number four, what are three lessons from this chapter that you can apply to your own life? Number five, why do you think God inspired this chapter to be written? Number six, are there any concepts in this chapter you'd like to understand better? Make a note of them for future topical studies. Level 5. Verses. Primary tools. Interlinears, commentaries, cross-references. In the course of your studies, you'll come across many interesting, confusing, encouraging, and even intimidating verses. These individual verses make great entry points for further study especially since you already have a sense of what you want to learn from them. The most important thing to remember when looking at a verse on its own is that Bible verses are part of a bigger picture. That probably doesn't come as a surprise if you've been listening to this entire section, but it's especially important when dealing with verses. It's not difficult, even unintentionally, to take a sentence out of context and misunderstand its meaning. As is the case with chapters, the division of the Bible into verses isn't original to the text. Verse numbers were added to make it easier to locate and refer to specific parts of the Bible. A verse might contain a helpful insight or a comforting sentiment, but no verse is intended to stand on its own, devoid of context. Avoid misinterpretations by keeping the bigger picture in mind. When studying a verse, it helps to zoom in and look at the specific words used, see level 6 below, and then zoom back out to consider what's being said in the rest of the chapter and book, see levels 3 and 4 above. Interlinears can give you a sense of how the verse was constructed in the original Hebrew or Greek manuscripts, 
which might help you better understand its meaning and intent. The more often you look at the original languages, the more you'll begin to notice interesting things like the author's choice of words and the order in which they're written. Pair these with an exegetical commentary for insight into the mechanics of the language. Note, the same Greek and Hebrew words can be translated into multiple English words, and the same English word can serve as a translation for multiple Greek and Hebrew words. Sometimes it's helpful to know what's going on behind the scenes. Here are some questions to ask as you take a closer look at a verse of the Bible. Number one, what interests you about this verse? Why did you feel drawn to study it? Number two, what's the context of this verse? What subjects are being discussed in this chapter, and even this book? Make a note of some of the main themes. Number three, is this verse part of a larger discussion? If so, how does this verse support or connect with that discussion? Number four, what important recurring words and phrases, like law, justification, repentance, salvation, etc., appear in this verse? Where else do they appear in the Bible? Can you define each of them in your own words? Number five, Summarize this verse in your own words. What do you think it's trying to say? Why do you think God inspired it to be written? Number six, is there anything about this verse that, directly or indirectly, should impact how you live your life? What changes does it inspire you to make, and how can you implement them? Level six, words. Primary tools, interlinears, concordances, lexicons. Studying the words used by the authors of the Bible can give you tremendous insight into the passages God inspired. But if done incorrectly, it can also lead you into some pretty serious misunderstandings of what those authors were trying to say. Word studies are most effective when you understand the limitations of word studies. We'll discuss common word study mistakes to avoid later. Remember that a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing and looking up a single word in a foreign, antiquated language filled with unique rules you don't fully understand is a very little bit of knowledge. A Hebrew word might mean one thing in one verse of the Bible, but that's not a guarantee that it means the same thing every time it shows up in the Old Testament. The definitions you'll find aren't automatically interchangeable. Begin any word study by remembering that words, in any language, are complicated things. Taking a one-size-fits-all approach often leads to trouble. With that in mind, the first step is choosing a word. There's a good chance you have a word in mind already, one you came across in your broader, more zoomed-out studies of chapters and books and topics. It might be a word that struck you as odd and out of place. Maybe it was used in an unusual or unclear way. Maybe it was just repeated over and over in a short span. Maybe it was part of an encouraging sentiment. Maybe it's just a topic you'd like to understand a little better. Here are some examples to get you thinking. Paul told the Corinthians, test yourselves, in 2 Corinthians 13.5. What did he mean by test? Does the Greek word he used give any insight into that test? Psalm 136 repeats mercy 26 times. Hebrews 11 mentions faith 24 times. And 1 Corinthians 13 uses the word love nine times. Is there anything to glean from the original words themselves? John said, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. 1 John 3, 6. Was John really saying that if we commit a single sin, we don't know God? If you're interested in a word from a specific verse, try looking up that verse in multiple translations. You might discover that different Bible translations translate the same word differently, 
which is a good clue that your word is worth looking into. Try it with Psalm 136 verse 1. With the New King James Version translates mercy, the English Standard Version calls steadfast love, the New American Standard Bible calls faithfulness, and the American Standard Version calls loving kindness. Studying the Hebrew word behind those translations might help you understand why. Once you have a word in mind, your next goal is to see how it's used throughout the rest of the Bible. But remember, you're technically dealing with two words now. There's the English word you're looking at, plus the Hebrew or Greek word it was translated from. And remember, across the pages of the Bible, multiple Hebrew and Greek words might be translated into the same English word, while a single Greek or Hebrew word might be translated into multiple different English words. Start by using your concordance or interlinear to identify the original word and its Strong's number. The number will make it easier to keep track of the word and look it up in other resources. A concordance can show you every place that a Hebrew or Greek word is used in the Bible and give you a basic sense of how it can be translated. A lexicon will give you a more thorough explanation of the word, including what it can mean in a variety of different situations. An interlinear will tell you how that word is being used grammatically in a particular verse, which might be helpful as you consult the lexicon. Take some time to explore other verses that use your chosen word. Get a sense for how the word is used in a variety of different contexts. If the concordance or lexicon tells you that the word is related to other words, look those up and study them as well. See if exegetical commentaries have anything to say about the word's usage in a particular verse. Note, it might be that your word is used only one time in the entire Bible. That's called a hapex legomenon, and it means you'll have to rely on sources outside the Bible if you want insight into how it was used in the ancient world. When you're done, you should have a more thorough understanding of the word you chose. You'll find some more useful advice for word studies in the Common Word Study Mistakes to Avoid section at the end of this chapter. Here are some questions to ask as you take a closer look at a word of the Bible. Number one, what Hebrew or Greek word was this English word translated from? Number two, is this Hebrew or Greek word always translated into the same English word, or are there a range of possibilities? Number three, what other verses use this Hebrew or Greek word? How is it used? What does that tell you about the word itself? Number four, how do other Bible translations treat this word? Is it generally translated the same, or are there noticeable differences? Number five, are other Hebrew or Greek words translated into this same English word? What are they? Do they have different meanings, or are they very similar in their meaning? Number six, do any of your resources point you to related Hebrew and Greek words? How are those words used in the Bible? For example, the words dakimas, Strong's G1384, and adakimas, Strong's G96, are strongly related to dakimatso, Strong's G1381, the verb Paul used for test in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Number 7. Is this word being used in a way that doesn't translate well into English? Number 8. Can you find any evidence that this word choice serves a special function in this verse? Number nine, does what you've learned change how you look at this verse, at this word in general? If so, does it have an impact on your relationship with God or the way you live your life?